All right, and we're live. <laughs> the late morning program with yours truly, Namras Das. Uh, this is episode 27, I believe. And this is uh, about uh, the woman's perspective uh, of ISKCON. And I have some amazing guests here. I have Ramatulsi Mataji, I have Prema Vilasini, Chaitanya Chintamani, and Sundari Gopi. If you guys can just go around and uh, introduce yourselves and just tell us um, basically a little bit about yourself, like what you do and things like that, and then uh, we can get into the discussion. Ram Tulsi Mataji, please start us off. Okay, so um, all of you know, I'm Ram Tulsi, and I have been part of ISKCON for over 40 years. Since 1975, I started out in South Africa, actually. And um, and I'm married to Anudama, not the GBC one, <laughs> just to clarify. <laughs> but we are related because our daughter is married to his son, Gorabani. And uh, I have my son, our son, Peter Mbara, living here also in the same area. So I have all my family living in the same area. I have four grandkids. And I am part of the Potomac Washington DC Temple. So, in a nutshell. Wonderful. Thank you. Prema? I'm Prema Vilasini. Uh, I was lucky enough to be born into Krishna consciousness. Uh, my parents are Ranjit and Gopishwari Prabhus, if anybody knows them. Okay. And um, I went to Gurukul. Um, the whole thing. And uh, I'm currently working as a mental health counselor at a uh, community mental health center. I um, was working in the film and television industry before that. And I live here in New York, in Brooklyn, and uh, mainly go to the Bhakti Center as my temple and also Radha Govinda Mandir. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Chaitanya Chintamani? Um, my name is Chaitanya Chintamani. Uh, I grew up in Mayapur, but I was actually born in London. And now I live in Leicester. Um, I went to Gurukul in Mayapur and I was born into the movement. And right now I um, stay in Leicester and I do various services. Great, thank you. And Sundari? Hey, I'm Sundari Gopi. I met the devotees almost I think it was like 11 years ago now. I met them at Krishna Lunch in Gainesville and uh, lived in the temple there for a while after I graduated from college. Now I currently in New York, I was serving at the Bhakti Center for three years, uh, living in there in the ashram. And now I am a high school physics teacher in Brooklyn. Yeah. Awesome, great. Thank you all so much. So um, what did you first think of when I suggested this topic and when you heard this topic. Ram Tulsi Mataji, maybe you can start us off. Uh, well, I wasn't surprised because right now, ISKCON is going through a revolution and we are talking about topics that need to be talked about. So I really wasn't surprised at all when you contacted me and I thought, okay, uh, about time because we're talking about racism and all these isms are coming out now and i feel it's a revolution for a movement and a revolution of everybody's heart also but at least need to be talked about right 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 prema what do you what did you think of that was beautiful um 
Uh, well, we have a there's like a little bit of history here because you were asking us to do this podcast episode a while ago. Yeah. And I remember one of the times I actually ended up canceling last minute because the pandemic had just started and I was like, oh, like I'm already too like down. I just don't have it in me to talk yeah. about these heavy things right now. Um, but I agree that it's um, very important and I'm, I'm glad, I'm kind of glad actually the way the timing worked out to be doing it now rather than when we first had thought about it. Yeah, yeah. Chintamani, what did you think of? Um, I thought it was a really great idea because um, as Ram Tulsi Mataji said, this is the time, you know, all the things that we've been ignoring are just kind of coming up in our faces. And uh, I know that you don't shy away from talking about these kind of controversial things. <laughs> a really good idea to just get it out there. Yeah, thank you. Sundari, what about you? Um, I have similar sentiments to everybody. Um, I'm also glad that we didn't do this before. Um, like Prima was saying, I, I think it's, it's a really important topic that isn't discussed as much as I would like to see. So I'm really happy that we're doing it now. Yeah. Right. Right. Okay. Um, so let's get into like maybe the, the first few questions here. Um, tell your personal experience as a woman in ISKCON. Uh, have you felt valued? Have you felt encouraged? Um, have you felt seen or heard? Anyone, anyone who wants to just jump out and, and answer. Well, okay, I'll start. Sure, I've been sure. For over 40 years. I have seen some changes, some positive changes. But when I first came to ISKCON, um, and I remember my husband and I, we were just married and we were traveling in Europe. And we went to a temple, and I'm not going to name anyone, but uh temple in Denmark. And it was... It was most. It was a mostly a temple for men, and I think I was visiting with my husband. We had to stay overnight, but I was made to feel so shamed because I was in a woman's body. I I couldn't eat. They made me eat separately in a separate room. I was not to be seen. You know, couldn't be heard. I was treated like a third class citizen, really. Wow. And then also the culture at that time in Iskon. And I don't know for you young devotees, I don't think you've heard of it, but for the older devotees, when we were pregnant and if we were having a baby girl, we were we were looked down upon. It was really? the culture that was like, oh, you're having a girl, so that means you must have been lusty at the time of conception. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I was even told that when I had my daughter. Wow. So, yeah, so that's how it was. Oh my gosh. And then later, but then like, okay, then that's when you first joined. And then how did it kind of develop uh, as, as time went on? I think, you know, as time went on, I, because I got married and then, you know, we didn't live, I lived in the temple at the very beginning. <clears throat> in fact, I lived in England. I was in, uh, in the Bhakti program with Rohini Nandan, you know, one of my favorite devotees. He treated mm -hmm. us so kindly and so wonderfully. Um, but as time went on, and I think because I was married, and so we didn't live in, the, live in the ashram so much because I was living outside. And thank God I have a wonderful husband who was very open-minded. You know, he's, he doesn't ma micromanage me, and he trusts me. And 
Uh, he's great. I mean, I went to school. I got my master's degree. I also taught Sunday for over 25 years, and I retired to that. 2017 I retired oh wow so yeah I have a master's in reading instruction so yeah and I you know I think basically because we lived outside and I kept to myself I would go to the temple and do service but not be part of that internal garbage I want to say right internal mm -hmm. strife right yeah like you know I stayed away from that yeah Okay, and and for those for those of you who um who kind of were born into Krishna consciousness, that what is your experience been as a woman? Um, I feel like there's a lot expected of us, um, in terms of our duties and um, you know, female dharma and um a lot of expectation, and at the same time, um. It's kind of a roller coaster. Sometimes they're like, oh, you're our mother, you're this, you're that, you're wonderful, like Draupadi, like Kunti. And then other times it's like, oh, you know, you shouldn't be here, you're taking up space, you know, you're, you're, this is not your place, you're out of turn. <clears throat> so it's for me, I, I, I'm sometimes not even sure, like, should I be here? Should I not be here? Do you want me here? Is it okay if I'm standing in this spot? talking to this person, you know. <laughs> right, Prema? We hear that. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I think, you know, things are changing. Um, when I went to Gurukul, I remember hearing a lot of really strange things from our teachers. Um, if you part your hair on the side, you're a prostitute. I came home one day after school. <laughs> so Mom, what's a prostitute? And she was like, why are you asking this? And I, well, I, well we, if we part our hair on the sides, we're a prostitute. Um, oh my gosh. Where it's like, you know, what does that have to do with Krishna consciousness? Like, why are we focusing on these things? And, um, you know, and I think it affects, it can affect boys as well. I think a lot of the boys that I grew up with in Gurukul um, were, were painted this picture of women that they're lusty, that they're going to try to seduce you away from, you know, Krishna consciousness, whatever. And uh, <clears throat> like I've talked to some of the boys I, or men now that I grew up with since then, and they've said like, yeah, that really, kind of messed me up for a while. I didn't know how to relate to women. I don't know how to properly kind of talk to them or treat them. Um, so yeah, I think um, I think Gurukuls have gotten better. <laughs> I don't think they're saying stuff like that in Gurukuls now, I don't think. Uh, but um, <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> I hope not, <laughs> that would be nice. Um, but yeah, it, there's definitely been some things that make you feel very, um, very uh, like you are sticking out like a sore thumb and shouldn't be there. Right, and Sundari, what about you? Uh, I had an interesting experience because I met the devotees in Gainesville and the Krishna house was actually uh, very progressive and I didn't know how progressive it was until I started traveling and going to other temples. <laughs> so. <laughs> We traveled a lot, like the first, like the first three years of um, that I became a devotee, and like all over the East Coast, like we, like through the Krishna House, we we're always uh, traveling and going to different places. Uh, and I also got to spend six, six months in in India, like four and a half months in Mayapur, and then some time in Vrindavan. 
And anyway, so in the Krishna house, uh, everything, everybody was empowered to speak, you know, like nobody was shy because of who they were to say something or to be in a position of power. Like the first lecture that I attended at the Krishna house was given by, um, by a woman, by Ali, by Ali Krishna, you know, so like from the beginning, it never struck me that anything was different. Um, again, it wasn't until later on that I noticed that things were, were, I mean, guess weird in other temples. Um, Kalakanta Prabhu always made it, uh, like a really, he made a really important point to make sure that women felt welcome in the temple. You know, so we were always encouraged to give class, uh, to do artis, to do everything. It was very important for him that there is, uh, equality in the temple. Wow. Can I say something really quick? Please, please. I had like a reverse experience of Sundari where I grew up in a super conservative community. And then like when I went to Alachua and went to the to the Bhakti Center, eventually ended up here. It was like, oh, wow, temples can be like this where I don't feel uncomfortable. And I like, you know, if I come in wearing pants, it won't I won't be like side eyed all over the place, you know. Yeah, really good. <laughs> but, that, but that does happen in Alachua, though. The last time that I was there, just as a, as a side note, well, <laughs> First in Alachua, because also in Alachua, like the temple president is a woman, Mother Mukia. Like so, like I, they're always seeing women, kind of like, there's always women giving class in uh, in Alachua. It's a it's a unique place in that sense. So I didn't. There's a lot of things I didn't question, but there are some weird things that happen though. Like, I went to the temple, the last time I was in Alachua was in November, and I went in. I was just wearing jeans. I was wear, wearing like regular clothing, and somebody came up to me and asked me. Um, it was actually somebody that I had talked to before. I haven't been, like, I haven't lived in Alachua in like six years. So I guess like a lot of the, the people have forgotten who I am. And she came up to me and asked me um, questions as if I was new. You know, as it's like, oh, is this your first time here? And I'm like praying to the deities to alter. Like I have, you know, I'm wearing Tulsi Bees, but she didn't realize things just because I was wearing regular clothing. They thought that I was a new devotee. So um, that that's stuck. Still got, yeah. Right, right. Um, you know, I just want to say something interesting. Prabhupada always, in the early days, he encouraged these women disciples to give class, yes. to lead kirtans. Himavati, the wife of Hansaduta Prabhu, uh, she used to give classes in lectures in India, and Mother Yamuna, you know, she used to lead the kirtans. Mm -hmm. And even Jadurani used to give wonderful classes and Prabhupada even wrote a letter saying that he's going to take her, uh, you know, with him and she will be giving the lectures on the pavilion. So wow. Prabhupada never disparaged his female devotees. He wanted everybody, you know, he I saw know. everybody with equal vision, right? I mean, and that's what yeah. we want to see. Everybody with equal vision. A sage sees, you know, the cow, the dog, the dog eater the Brahman with equal vision. And so we have to come to that standard of seeing everybody with equal vision. Not that, you know, we should see you, you know, not that you see you as this body with a soul, but as a soul, you know, in this body, in this lifetime. So we should all be seen as spiritual souls. When do you think that changed that when, okay, when Prabhupada was on the planet, then, um, you know, he was treating all the women like uh, equally with the man and, and everything. But, but when, when do you think it changed that it became like, like you said, when you first joined that you felt like uh, you felt like you were kind of, you know, shunned away in a, in a sort of way. I think it, you know, in the very beginning, it was a family atmosphere and Prabhupada was giving pure Krishna consciousness 
before the rules and regulations. And so maybe as ISKCON grew and got larger, and then so many, you know, so many people came in with their own uh, perspectives and their own ideas. Mm. And so then they took that knowledge, they take it and twist it to, I think people take it and twist it to suit their own purpose instead mm. of looking at Siddhanta. Because Siddhanta can be looking such a way also where you turn it and twist it to suit your needs. Yeah. You know? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, okay, well, how do you process things about, you know, in the Bhagavad Gita or in the Bhagavatam, what it says about women? Um, how do you reconcile those uh, points uh, in your real world experience um, in ISKCON? In and out of ISKCON. Anyone want to take that one? I can, I can say one. something. Um, yeah. So, well, first of all, I'll say when I read those things in Shastra, it hurts. It's painful. I, I have very sad feelings. And to be honest, a little bit of embarrassed feelings too, that this is something that I'm reading in Shastra. I have to say that very honestly first. Um, when I try to, the way I try to look at it, the way I try to conceptualize it to myself, I say, okay, Shastra, every word of Shastra should be taken into consideration and should be carefully considered. This is true. So looking at this statement, let's say women are less intelligent, I think, okay. Um, I look around at the women in my life. Do I feel like they're less intelligent? Hmm. No, I don't feel like they're less intelligent than men. When I look at my mother, when I look at my mother-in-law, Archana City, when I look at Ram Tulsi Mataji, when I look at, um, Mother Mukya, Mother Nanda, uh, Mother Yamuna, um, you're, you're not gonna be able to convince me that they are less intelligent somehow than just simply because they're women. Everyone has intelligence about different things, more or less, of course, yeah. but simply because they're women, no, I'm sorry, you're not gonna convince me that that's true. So then it's like, okay, time, place, and circumstance. Let's look at it with time, place, and circumstance. So do I think that Kunti and Draupadi were less intelligent than Arjuna or other people at that time? I'm sorry, no, I don't. Uh, I, I can't reconcile that. You can't make me believe that. Um, I, I don't understand how that could be true. Um, okay, maybe they're special. So let's look at like all the women hundreds and thousands of years ago at, the, at that time. Do I think that they were less intelligent than men? No, I don't. I just don't. Um, maybe they were less educated, um, but I, I, I don't see how that they could have been less intelligent simply because they were women. And so when I look at that statement and I look at time, place, and circumstance, and I look at the present day now, I think, okay, what is the goal of a statement like that? Is the goal of a statement like that to say that women are less intelligent, so they shouldn't be in positions of power. Well, I don't think so, because we have some lovely devotee temple presidents, female now, we have uh, some lovely female GBC now. And so I don't think that that's what Prabhupada was trying to say, it was women are less intelligent, so they should be in lesser positions. And so taking all of that into consideration, I have to think, 
that that particular statement holds less weight than other statements such as we're not the body, uh, don't make offenses towards people and devotees, don't, you know, ahimsa, don't do as little harm as possible. Um, I have to think that those carry a little less weight, that statement, until somebody illuminates me on how it is true. Like I'm, I'm willing and open to hear how it could be true, but I have not seen evidence thus far. Right. Um, you know, this Good is my, my personal feeling. Thank you. Anyone else? Well, I, I don't think women are less intelligent. Probably it's a different intelligence. You know, women are more. I don't know. They. It, it says in Bhagavad Gita, women. You know, they have. Um, they speak. They memory. It says mm. intelligence, it says faithfulness, mm. patience are all feminine qualities. I think those are wonderful qualities to have. So I don't see women as being less intelligent. And and it is hurtful to read some of the comments when you read Shastra. Mm. And I think that's why it's very important that you, when we read Shastra, we have to approach someone that can explain it to us, you know, and, and not just... Uh, we read it and we say, oh, this is what Prabhupada said. But this is what some people do. They take it as this is what Prabhupada said and this is it and they don't want to interpret it. You know? And we also have to understand, and this is no, you know, um, no judgment on anyone or uh, I'm not making any offenses, but we have to understand also, you know, uh, the, the climate that Srila Prabhupada came from also. Yeah. Was, you know, and we have to understand, you know, so when he spoke some of this language, he, it was, it was, you know, and he said some things that in Shasta, he's like, how could Srila Prabhupada say that? Mm -hmm. And But we have to understand also from the climate that he came from and, you know, his, his upbringing and his school climate. Even right. when Prabhupada says, uh, Anybody want, sorry, anybody else want the intelligence before I go on to anything else too? Please keep going. <laughs> yeah. You know, the one about women are nine times lusty. Mm. That's in Srimad Bhagavatam when Kadama Muni, uh, you know, made himself into nine different Kadama Munis just to have sex with his wife. She wanted to have sex with him. But it was just for her at that time, but it's applied to all women. And that's not true, you know. In right. history, we see who, you know, who pays the prostitutes in history. I mean, we've seen, you know, men go to prostitutes to satisfy their lust. They pay them. Uh, we see this polygamy, right? And a woman, a woman are not going off to prostitutes and to enjoy sex. When I, I look at that, when nine times lusty, you know, it's women, Naturally, they love to have a good home. They like having a nice husband, nice children, nice clothes, jewelry. You know, it's that kind of, I feel it's it's those desires. That's what it is. It's not the sexual desire. Because mm. throughout history, we've seen that it's the men will go and approach women for sex and pay women for sex. So it's not it's not sexual desire. And I think also women have more intensity for loving, you know, just they they love intensely and deeply and they're very affectionate. I don't see that as being lusty. Mm. 
Yeah. Right. Did we uh, lose Chaitanya Chintamani? I just <clears throat> don't see her anymore on my oh. screen. Yeah, she's back now. Okay. She, um, she dropped off for a second there. Okay. Sorry about that. Sorry. Did you want? To, yeah. Did you want to say something, Chintamani, about that? Um, I'm definitely in agreement. Um, you know, and and one of the things it it's been something that I actually discussed with a friend of mine just the other day. How do we reconcile these um, shastric um, sort of blanket statements with what we see around us. Right. And um, I'm inclined nowadays, well, at first when I read it, I was I was quite young and I was, I saw everything very black and white and I was like, well, if he said it, it must be true, you know. But now I look around and I'm like, well, you know, the, the times are much different and, um, and the people are different and um, I find it always um, helpful to refer to um, Prabhupada's, um, uh, you know, when he discusses principles and details, you right. know, as, as far as things we can accept and things that we must consider for ourselves um, according to the, the time, place and circumstance. So, um, as far as these kind of details go, um, I honestly take them with a pinch of salt because um, I just when I look around, I just don't see that, you know. And um, and I I've accepted this flaw within myself, but maybe um, it's not the right thing to do 100%. But I I don't accept it completely. Right. Yeah, I wanted to add something kind of to also uh, highlight what Prema was saying. Um, I think it's important to look at how much weight these statements hold. And it's so true that um, like other statements and Shastra have so much more weight than something simple like this. And I, it's important to think about, I think it's really important to think that way because oftentimes people will read statements like this and they're like, oh, this whole philosophy is bogus. You know, none of this makes sense. Yeah. Um, just because they hold on to to just a, a phrase like that. I mean, that that is hurtful. It, it is hard to read when you see that in the Bhagavad Gita. Um, but if you hold on just to that, then I think it ends up eating up your Krishna conscious more than anything else. And it's really important to look at, I think like Srila Prabhupada's actions and like it, um, often to see also like how he actually treated people around him. And I, I personally feel like Prabhupada's, um, the way that he treated his female disciples really contradicts that statement. And it gives me faith in, um, in Srila Prabhupada and then also um, in, in the broader movement as well. You know, I just recently finished reading uh, Vishaka's book and it was incredible, yeah. you know, and like seeing um, how Srila Prabhupada like treated her and gave her so much attention and care. Uh, it's, it's powerful. You know, so those, those are the examples that I prefer to choose to look at versus um, other things that might um, have a, like a detrimental effect on my Krishna consciousness. Yeah. Um, moving on, uh, what has been the most inspiring thing for you being a woman in the path of bhakti. And I'm going to relate that also with what has been the most disheartening as well. Uh, so let's start with what has been the most inspiring thing. Can I say? Please. Okay. Please. Um, for myself, 
it's quite funny. I think I've mentioned this in almost every live conversation I've had since this lockdown started, but um, one of the most inspirational <clears throat> things that happened to me was that I met Yamuna Devi in Mayapur. And um, I just found her to be the most loving and kind devotee that I'd ever met. And she actually, um, she didn't know us at all. We were just her upstairs neighbors. And I came downstairs um, just to meet her. And she gave me a hug. And at that time, um, I felt so much loving affection from her mm. that I'd never felt like from really anyone. Um, and I could understand that, you know, she she doesn't see bodies. She doesn't see what I look like right now or, or you know, she sees who I really am. She She knows me. This person knows me better than anybody, you know, and um, and for me, that was like, oh, first of all, I'm not this body. And also, if you chant properly, you could become like, you know, you could see other people as, as spirit souls all the time. And so for me, that was like the most um, life changing meeting. Wow. Anyone else? Well, I can say that for me, um, coming to the Bhakti Center uh, was one of the more inspiring things in my Krishna conscious life. Um, to see so many young, like-minded people that were preaching and very, very Krishna conscious, but also putting things forward in a very progressive way. And to see the people that had attracted, um, to see how many um, young, successful, just uh, diverse people that are coming from kind of everywhere, every kind of um, profession, every kind of family. Um, to me, I look at that and that really feels like what Srila Prabhupada came here to do. And so um, in many other temples, you don't see that as much. And, you know, partially it's because a lot of temples are in the middle of nowhere and um, not many people just live there or come at all. But I think that this kind of um, preaching through this kind of lens is what um, we're really supposed to be doing right now. Right. Anyone else for the most ins more inspiring part before I go on to the disheartening part? Uh, I can say that one of the things that I was really inspired by, well, first the Bhakti Center too, like I've been living in New York for five years now. And when I came here, I was like really impressed. Uh, but one of um, the most inspiring things for me was also meeting Malati. Like I met her back in 2009 and that woman is something else. And like just the way that she does everything, like her dedication, her focus, like I've seen her like do so much without stopping, like go, go, go. And it all comes just from this really, really deep desire to like serve Srila Prabhupada. And I really haven't seen anybody, like literally anybody, I don't know, like that moves and does and gets things done like Malati does. Mm -hmm. And um, and for me, that, that was really, really inspiring to see a woman in, in a, in a position like bro because when i met her she was uh still actively part of the new vrindavan um 
And then she was also like, she's already at UBC back then. Yeah. And just like seeing her involved in, in everything, it's like, wow, like I, I actually looked up to her. And I mean, I still do, but at that time as a young devotee, it's like, wow, like I can't, I could be like her if I wanted to. Like she made it very easy and relatable for me to, to see what it's like um, to be uh, a woman in power within ISKCON, you know, and having such a beautiful influence amongst everybody around her. Wow, very nice. Yeah. What about um, disheartening? What has been the most disheartening thing about being a woman in ISKCON? Mm. Or on the path of bhakti, rather. Okay, um, so the thing that I love reading Shri Prabhupada's books and I read them every day and I find them very inspiring. And especially recently I was reading the praise of Queen Kunti and Kunti, out of her humility and humbleness, she says, uh, uh, in a prayer, she says, uh, she's not, she talks about Stria, about women. It's, you know, we women, it's difficult to understand you, but that's out of her humility and humbleness. And Shri Prabhupada says that she's a devotee and any devotee, so if she's a devotee and she's one of the great women, right, in our movement, so that means any devotee woman, then he's as good as Kunti. But it's disheartening to see, and, and Prabhupada never intended for his, you know, female disciples and grand disciples to be disparaged on the basis of their bodily forms. Prabhupada never wanted that. He wanted all of us to, to preach, to become gurus, to to take up this movement, to become responsible for this movement. It didn't matter if we were in a woman's body or a man's body. Uh, but it's disheartening to see that there are some people that still see see us as as see us as different soul. That your soul is inferior to the men's soul, and I think yeah. that's disheartening to see that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I would also say when I see devotee men who are kind of apathetic to this issue and kind of just can't really understand it and don't really try to understand what it might be like, um, I find that very disheartening. Uh, I was at a deity worship workshop one time and the devotee running it told us everybody to write down questions that they had about anything to do with beauty worship. And so one of the questions I wrote down was, what do you feel about that in some places women are not allowed to do the deity worship still in ISKCON temples? And uh, he, in my opinion, gave a very apathetic answer. And he also said, oh yes, this is a very hot button issue that's being discussed right now. And he like hearing that was so disturbing to me because this is not a hot button issue. This is something that women have been dealing with for centuries. Mm. And, you know, he was sort of treating it like, oh, this is the new controversial topic that everyone wants to talk about. Mm. Um, and it was also like the answer he gave was just kind of like, well, I'm not really going to give a full answer on that, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, how can we deny that like Srila Prabhupada wanted women to be pujaris? Like it's, to me, it's like so silly. And it's, it's one thing to take in the context of India and the way things are in India and political things. And that's valid, but um, that, that shouldn't 
I think our ans anybody's answer should be, yeah, it's not really right. Like that that shouldn't really be happening anymore. Right. We should yeah. be trying to at least <clears throat> it not happen as we as time goes on. Anyone else on this disheartening topic? Uh, so that was one what that's one of the things that is really disheartening to me is that women's service like there's all these obstacles for women to do uh, service, which always seemed uh, absurd to me. And even in places like India where they say like, oh, women are like, it's not, it, does, it doesn't look good culturally for women to be on the altar. But then you go on Parikrama around Vrindavan and there's tons of little temples where you have like these Matajis that come and they give you prasadam standing on the altar, they're serving the deities. So it's like, why is it that in our temple which is visited by millions of people every year, like only men are allowed to be on the altar, but then you go on program to other places and women are serving. So that for me, actually one of the biggest things that bothers me is how women are treated in both Vrindavan and in Mayapur, because these two places are, everybody looks up to them as standards of how uh, people in ISKCON should behave. You know, it's the Holy Dom. And then in those places, it's where you see the biggest um, misogyny, which is a, a, like, it's just, yeah, it's super disheartening. Like when I was in Mayapur, uh, I was telling, I think I told Prima this story. We were, I was there for four and a half months. So when there was nobody in the temple like that in January, February time, like before the festival started, December, 19 February, they would put the rope for like Panchatatva Darshan every morning. They would put the rope, instead of putting it directly in the middle, they would put it like towards the side so that the woman's side was a lot smaller than the men's side, but there was more women than men. So I would go, I would show up before Mangalarti would start and I would myself pick up the ropes and move them and put them in the middle. And yeah. I would go to the to the Chokidar and I'd tell him, I was like, Prabhu, middle, line, you know, I was just trying to explain to him. And then after a while, like maybe like five or six times of me doing that, then they started all, it wasn't, it wasn't every day. It was like maybe just a few of them that were doing that. But then after a while, they just kept it in the middle. Because from the side, you can't see all of the deities because of the way the Mayapur temple is set up. Yeah. I was like, I can't. It was so upsetting that I had to do something about it. But just that it's ingrained in the culture in that way, you know that women require less space, even though there's more of us, you know, mm -hmm. or um, like women can only do backup service. You know, they can't go on the altar. You know, like when I was in Mayapur, I wasn't initiated yet. So I was doing a lot of backup, backup service. But uh, I realized only the only time that they would let women on the altar was to do decorations during the festivals. Yeah, that's the only time <clears throat> that um, all these, because I got involved. I, I really enjoyed doing Didi Seva. So I was really involved even um, back then before I was initiated. And I would see from the door how the women would go in, like they would have to cover their heads, you know, like very like submissive, you know, walk around and just like do their thing and trying to like not get in the way of the brahmacharis. And I don't know, just like that kind of behavior really throws me off. It really bothers me. And uh, there's ways around it. Sorry, I'm like rambling now. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, I, I wanted to ask uh, Chintamani, what did you think of what Sindri said since you lived in Mayapur for many years? Uh, yes, Mayapur. Um, <laughs> <laughs> So uh, I, when I saw that you were going to ask about Mayapur, I promised myself uh, that I would tell the truth, um, even though 
um, you know, I'm always inclined to say sweet things about Mayapur because uh, I love Mayapur, but um, it doesn't mean that I, I haven't seen anything or I haven't felt anything. And um, it's definitely important to talk about these things. Um, and that's why we're here. So truthfully, Mayapur women tolerate a lot just to be near Lord Chaitanya. And uh, I got to pay obeisances to all of them because they, you know, now that I've been out of Mayapur for about five years now, I couldn't see myself going back into that constricted atmosphere. Wow. And I wasn't <clears throat> even one of the most constricted persons because uh, I was actually allowed at times on the altar to dress um, Panchatattva and Radha Madhava. And, wow. Um, wow. And, also, yes, because uh, I was apprenticed to Ramadevi Mataji for some time. Oh, nice. oh, right. And um, when when the dresses are new, then they allow us to put them on. So um, at that time, then I was allowed to go for some festivals. Um, but yeah, it was, I mean, it's a rare occurrence. At the same time, you know, male attention in Mayapur is so intense and negative. Um, that you're not really inclined to do these things. Um, you know, I would have never fought to get into that space um, because I just know from experience that it would bring a lot of attention on, onto me. So um, a lot of times, you know, there are ladies who are very indignant about the whole thing, but, you know, once they get into that space and they see what it's really like, then they kind of, um, you know, they calm down a bit because it's it's not pretty at all. Um, but Mayapur, you know, we, like I said, I when I left Mayapur, I, I was left with a lot of um, confusion about whether or not it was okay for me to to be, you know, and, and to to take up space to to call attention to myself like in leading kirtan and giving class and doing all these things um, because that's not really the mood there. Um, it's, it's hard to say uh, how long it took for me to learn that the West is a lot more free. And I have to hand it to where I live now, the Leicester devotees, they're so, um, well, really, Mataji's are running the show here. Sorry, Prabhus, but it's true. They know it's true <laughs> as well. <laughs> but it's... Um, yeah, but if you're if you're in Mayapur as a woman, um, it's generally not even advantageous to take it to to take action or to to draw attention to yourself. It it doesn't work out well. Um, so nobody really does. They just kind of don't rock the boat. They tolerate. Um, but the truth is, you know, they're tolerating a lot. The Matijis are tolerating a lot. Mm. Everything is everyone's business, you know, like yeah. if your head is covered or not covered, the way you're dressed, the, you know, if you stand too close to someone or if you speak to someone, you know. There was one lady who she used to ask me every single day, are you married yet? Are you married yet? Oh my God, that's are you married? <laughs> That's actually the topic. I'm going to discuss about continuing. <laughs> yeah, and it, it's just completely pointless. Like it doesn't affect her life in any way. She's quite old. 
um, it was just like, it was just something to say, you know, everyone's got something to say about the way that you live as a woman. Um, yeah. And that was very difficult. Sorry, I'm, I'm rambling. No, yeah, man. I, I experienced that the first time I really experienced so everything you're saying was in Mayapur too, which is, again, very disheartening that in the Dom, that's what's going on. Because, like, I had people, like, if I did this to my hair, like, people would come up to me. It's like, oh, hey, you know, you should have your part should be in the middle. It's like, what? Like, I had never heard that before until I was in Vrindavan. Uh, I mean, in Mayapur. Um, I remember this one time, because at the point, I had never worn, like, saris every day. And I was wearing saris, I mean, before going to India. So I was wearing saris every day. And then I was thinking sometime in, I don't know, in March, I was like, done. I was like, I need to wear pants for a day. So I was wearing pants and uh, in a quarta and I swear so many people are looking at me they're like like what is she doing like how is it and I'm, I was wearing a long quarta and but there, there were tight pants and everyone it was just like the talk of the town like everybody is like involved in your revolved in your business mm -hmm. and uh yeah. it's it's very I don't know it's disempowering it's gross it's yeah it's it's a weird situation for sure this is really interesting. I just want to say something. I just want to say something. So yeah, when you please. live in a community, that it happens, because that's what happened also in you know when I joined the temple and lived in the temple, and people just love to gossip and to look at you if you did something that was not part of the status quo. I think that's what comes with living in a community. But I think now in the West, that I've been living in the West, and I grew up in South Africa too. I didn't grow up in India. Uh, it, it's just different over here, you know, and especially living in Potomac, we are very welcoming. We have, you know, Ananda Vrindavan is our temple president. I think I'm living in a wonderful temple. We just accept everyone for who they are. You come in jeans, hey, fine, nobody cares, you know. It's not like that's going to stop me from getting back to Godhead, right? I mean, yeah. that's going to covering my head. Is that important? No. And Krishna's going to say, you didn't cover your head, so you can't come in and, you know, be part of my Leela? No, I don't think so. Mm -hmm. This is, uh, I just wanted to make one comment from my perspective. Um, this is really interesting for me to hear from all of you because I haven't experienced any of this. And, uh, and I don't think I really spoke to any of the women in my life about, uh, you know, how they felt going to Mayapur or to Vrindavan, like in this kind of real candid way. So I think for the other men who are listening, I think it'd be really educational to hear these, the, these different perspectives, a different perspective from you all. Um, so that's really, it's, it's actually really sad for me to hear this, but um, at the same time, I'm glad I'm able to, you know, get your perspectives. Um, statistically, there tend to be more women than men in religious uh, movements. How do you feel about the fact that women are still a bit uh, underrepresented, underrepresented in leadership within our ISKCON movement? Anyone? I feel like it's time for a change. Pretty much. Do you feel it's changing or? Um, not quickly enough, but I do feel it's changing. You know, yeah. how, how many female GBC members do we have? Two yeah. out, of, yeah. out of 35. Mm -hmm. So that's more than zero. Um, 
but not much. Um, you know, we can look around slowly. There's definitely a lot more women temple presidents, which is lovely to see and doing a fantastic job, I might add. Um, but, you know, how many? Got you on the road. Right, right, continue. Um, yeah, no, that was, uh, yeah, more women temple presidents are coming. Um, they're doing a great job. Um, how many women gurus are there? So far, zero. Uh, so, you know, it's, there's some change happening, but it's, it's, it's slow. Mm -hmm. Anyone else? So me, as a, as a grandmother of three granddaughters, you know, what I'd like to see for my granddaughters is that first, that they're educated about their true identities as spirit souls and that they engage in devotional service, which can free them from the cycle of birth, death, disease, and old age. But I'd also like them to see them to be, and I wrote this down because Namrasa said this question to me, and I thought about it. I, I like to see my granddaughters being part of a model in which they would be nurtured and supported and encouraged to contribute as much as they could to this Krishna conscious movement. And I don't want them to be castigated and restrained. I don't want that for them. And also, I'm going to talk a little bit about Siddhanta. Srila Prabhupada, our philosophy is Daivi Varnashram, right? I mean, we don't, that means Prabhupada didn't want us to, we, Varnashram wasn't looked at according to our birth status, but our abilities, what we could do and what mm -hmm. we can do. And that's, you know, we follow Daivi Varnashram. I mean, in Bhagavad Gita 413, Prabhupada says, in Daivi Van Ashram, there cannot be acknowledgement of social status according to birthright. Because in Bhagavad Gita, it is said that the determining principles <laughs> are guna and karma, one's qualities and work. Okay, So if we are following Daivi Van Ashram, then it is for all members of society. It's not just for the men, but it is for the women also. And I feel we have to start applying this now. And especially... I, I have hope because I see all you young people, you know, and I come to Kaisal and I said, you know what? There is hope for it's gonna it's gonna it's going to go on. It's gonna be a kinder, gentle, gentler ISKCON with inclusivity for everyone. So thank you. I I see hope. Anyone else? Um I think I think there has to be a lot of more training involved in order for this to happen. Um, I mean, I also see hope, but I don't know, like I, like I mentioned before, like I became a devotee in the Krishna house and Kala, Kala was super encouraging for all of us. And he really looked at our propensities, you know, like in the things that we were good at and he would encourage us to do things depending on what that was. And he, and he was always he was always pushing us. By the end of the year, he made sure that all of us, because the Krishna House runs on cycles that uh, relate to the university. So by by end of the year, I mean the end of the school year. He would always make sure that all of us had um, given class. Like we, there's a structure for all of us to give violence on class, like without exception. Even if you didn't want to do it, he would push you to do it so that we could all get that experience. Um, we all had the opportunity to do artis. 
if you would um, encourage all of us to um, just, just try whatever service it is that we wanted. If we wanted to learn kirtan, if you wanted to do, learn how to cook. Uh, and then depending on how we saw us, he would like push us into certain directions. And uh, something that I, I really appreciate for Kalakanta Prabhu is that, you know, the, the Bhakti Center, I mean, um, he would have this thing called uh, the Bhakti Academy. And then we'd have the Bhakti Academy director. And every director for the first five years since this program started was we were all women, and I got to be one of them. Kalakanta Prabhu, so I was like, oh, like Sundari can do, she can handle this, she can handle being a leader, she can, she's good at managing, and not just because I'm a woman. He's like, oh no, she, like she can't do this. And I was on the contrary, he encouraged all of us, and because of this encouragement, I see uh, a lot of us who who did hold that position uh, are are giving classes still. They, they know and they feel like they have a voice and the voices are valued and, they, um, and they're um and they important to speak up. Um, it's, <clears throat> you know, like he, he made sure that it was important for us to know that. And I don't see that happening, at least, I mean, I, I stopped traveling around ISKCON temples like a few years ago, but I don't see really that happening so much. And I also saw that connected in Mayapur, they, they have this like token day where women are like, could give biotom class. But the whole time, <laughs> laughing, because um, <clears throat> it was the same day, it was the same woman over and over again, because nobody wanted to be in the position of giving class in front of these people, because, like, I guess a part of us felt like, um, you know, like, you're going to be criticized, you have to say the right thing, otherwise people are going to be speaking behind your back, or if uh, if you don't say, like, if you don't quote Swastra properly, then you see, like, oh, you know, there's all these things that come up. With like if you don't do things perfectly and, and nobody wants to put themselves in that position. So that has to be training from both sides, like women being encouraged to speak up and make sure that they know that their voices are important, they can be heard. And then also from uh, the other side, you know, like men, they need to know that uh, women's voices are important, you know, and that everybody has the same opportunity, you should have the same opportunity to, to speak or share or lead Kirtan or whatever it is. Thank you. Appreciate that. Let's so definitely we have to have training and um, sure. we need more leaders like Kalakanta. We, yeah. You know, yes. And we need, that's a model. The Krishna Haas is a model that we should all look at and yeah. try to institute it. Yes. And definitely men's hearts have to be changed. And some men, just recently I was on Facebook and uh, a proper disciple had, he lives in Alasha, but he's part of you know, he's with Narayan Maharaj. And he had a sign that the Alatra devotees took out on Harinam after the Black Lives Matter, you know. And uh, it, it was a different sign about you know, not this body, but said in another way. Mm. And so people were writing, and then one of the comments and was that, oh, well, you know, they have a female temple president up there. That's why this was done. And I was like, well, it could have been a man also. Just because she's a female doesn't mean that, you know. So, yeah, I agree with you because women, whenever women um, are outspoken, we are told, we, you know, we are looked upon as troublemakers, right? And also we are looked upon if something goes wrong or and, – and this wasn't anything wrong. They just, you know, it was just done in a different way. But one man said in the comment, oh, it's, it's because she's a woman. And then other people were laughing about it. Yes, you know, people look at women as less intelligent. They mock us. 
Uh, and we have to live with all of that. I agree. It's, it's very sad. It's disheartening. Yeah. yeah. Just real one real quick thing that uh, just came to mind is that also when women are, are outspoken, they're thought of being unchaste, which is exactly. a really big issue oh. in of itself. Yeah. yeah. Right. If you're quiet and submissive, then, oh, it's okay. You know? mm -hmm. But if you don't have a voice, and, you know, that's that's fine. But if you have a voice, then it's like, Oh, you're just a troublemaker. You're causing problems. Yeah. Um, let's move on to a question from the uh, from Facebook. Um, Gorangi Priya Gopal says, "I want to ask why you think there is a hesitancy in ISKCON to institute female gurus because in India, popular female gurus are quite prevalent." Does anyone have any uh, reflections or, or an answer for for here? Why do you think the hesitancy? Um, I think that people would flock more to mother figures in their spiritual lives than they do to the current male um, father figures that we have. And um, I think that women's ethics would not be called into question as much um, if they were in that position. And I think that's maybe a little bit scary for some people. Like yeah. I mean, I think to give credit where credit is due, I think that Srila Prabhupada did make some statements um, about female gurus, female sannyasi, that kind of thing. And People do want, to, do want to be very careful that they're following his instructions properly. Um, so I, I think that is some of the hesitance. Um, and another part of the hesitance is that change is scary, as Chintamani was saying. Um, and yeah, uh, I mean, Prabhupada also said so many other things. <laughs> um, and so we have to to look at it carefully and considerately, and um, and go from there. I mean, shastrically, it says that uh, whoever knows the you know the tattva of Krishna, they can become guru. It doesn't say anything about uh, whether you're a man or a woman. Yeah, guru is a matter of the heart, and so nobody can really dictate even uh, right. truly who who is your guru. And I and I think Prabhupada, yeah, he said different things about female gurus, but he also said all my disciples, boys and girls, will become gurus. And and Rukmini Prabhu, uh, Gora's mom, was sitting there. She said, "You even the girls, Sheila Prabhupada? And he said, yes, even the girls. Yeah, yes. So, um, I do see right now, maybe we don't have any females rubber stamped as gurus, Mm -hmm. We yeah. are females acting as gurus. And, for sure, for sure. You know, and that's fine. I'm happy with that. I feel like whatever inspires you to love Krishna and bring you closer to the feet of Srila Prabhupada and Krishna, they act as gurus. And it could be just an ordinary person also. Why? I don't feel like we should have rubber stamped gurus. Mm -hmm. you know, whoever is acting as guru, whoever inspires <clears> you to love Krishna and bring you closer to Krishna and Prabhupada, that's your guru. Mm. Agreed. I also think that, I mean, for whoever, whoever the first female guru is going to be, you know, that person's have to go through a lot 
you know, of like criticism and have to be really strong. And I'm not saying that there aren't any strong women in ISKCON, but it's going to require like so much of that person. And honestly, like you have to be a real fighter, you know, to want to do something like that. And I don't know if like personally, I, I kind of feel like I would just like stand on the sidelines, you know, and just kind of wait for the next generation to be like, all right, well, you guys deal with this later because I don't feel like doing all this, you know? It's, there's a there's a lot that um, that women have to um, break through in order to be able to peacefully be in that role. And I think there are some stipulations now, right? If you want to be guru, you have to be under the care or guidance of your son or husband, right? That's one. Of yeah, or son. <laughs> Fifty five at least. So who wants to go through all that rigmarole? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah. there are women that are acting as gurus, and they are they are gurus to many many people, and you know, so it's, it's fine. You don't need to be upset. Right, right. Okay. Any other any other discussion? Uh, any other things to say about the woman gurus uh, topic? Dad, Prima, let's do it. <laughs> Come on, guys. Let's do it. Okay, okay. Um. What is it like to be a single woman in ISKCON? Oh. <laughs> Anyone? Single ladies, please. A lot of it, um, I mean, kind of like what Tatami was saying before, it's like people are always just like, um, so are you married yet? Are you married yet? You know, like that happens a lot, um, which is like awful. And then also, it's it's a weird it's a weird thing because you always also have uh, senior people who are coming up to you and asking if they want to uh, find you uh, they want to be matchmakers for you which also feels strange um, you know especially oftentimes I mean a lot of people come up with like from a good place in the heart but they also don't know you you know so then they'll reach out with like random suggestions of like some random person that lives on the other side of the country it's like I don't know what to do about this. You know, it's like everyone's constantly being trying to find you a husband, which is strange. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> um, sort of misconception that, you know, being well, not misconception. It's more of a of an of an ideal that you know being married is is the ultimate. And so, mm -hmm. you know, when when you're not married, then people are like, "Well, are you okay?" You know, they're like. <laughs> They're trying to they're trying to help you, you know, and they're feeling sorry for you. And even like even myself, like I feel at times that it's like a, a, a failure, you know, that I haven't I haven't ticked this thing off my list of things to do, you know. And um, it's like everyone's trying to 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 help you out, um, you know, because you're everyone's child, especially in Mayapur. You're, like I had like. I don't know how many mothers, maybe a hundred, so many, and they always <laughs> like worrying about you, you know, yeah. and make it their business. And uh, it's just like, it can be quite overbearing um, in in one sense. And, and it's also dangerous um, to be in Mayapur as a single lady, like um, maybe Tulsi remembers, but one, one time we were just at home and this guy came to my house and he was just like, oh, I heard someone, basically someone had started a rumor that I wanted to get married to a Bengali man. So um, what happened was two or three Bengali men 
came to my house and asked me, um, how about me? Let's do this thing, basically. And, um, wow. you know, my saving grace is that I'm like quite a bit taller than the average Bengali man. <laughs> I wasn't afraid, you know, <laughs> of them like physically overpowering me or something. I, I wasn't scared. I was just like, no, thank you. Please leave. Um, but it's it's like, you know, after if you leave Kirtan, you're on your way home and there's like four or five strange guys following you, you know, it's really uh, quite an intense experience. And, you know, so it's, it's annoying and also dangerous. And, uh, and it's, it's scary because, not scary, I mean, it's confusing because Shastrically, nobody really looks like us, you know, like single lady doing Krishna consciousness, maybe outside of the temple, um, you know, there's no kind of manual or duties of a single lady um, thing that you can follow. Mm. So it's it's almost unprecedented to have this many of these kind of ladies about. Yeah, yeah to add to that, um, it's also it also feels strange because there are, like she was saying, like so many, there are so many single women in ISKCON and it almost feels like there aren't any men, you know, to actually to marry, um, just quite frankly. And from a position of, you know, like we're coming from a place of Krishna consciousness where we want to be able to have like a devoted husband and raise children within Krishna consciousness and have a partner to be able to um, to continue our, like, a, like a devotional life. Uh, it's hard to find people who are, who match, you know, who are qualified for that. Um, I think there's a lot of reasons why that is. I mean, I. I think there is a, like men sometimes are, or I guess boys also, when they come to Krishna consciousness, they pushed to become brahmacharis, even if in their early twenties. Yeah. And then they become, it's, it's like a whole, it's a whole weird thing where like men are pushed to become brahmacharis. And then at the same time, women are pu uh, pushed to try to find husbands. And it's like the people that are your age, I mean, I experienced this when I was younger, um, they're all brahmacharis. It's like, who are you supposed to marry? And then when you're ready to leave the ashram, they're still, they're just getting out of brahmacharya. They have no idea what they're doing with their life. Uh, they weren't, they might've been properly trained in the temple, but they have no idea what to do outside of the temple, um, temple context. You know, they don't know how to make money. They don't know how to do any of these things. And it takes them so much longer to get to that point than it does, and then does for us. Another reason why women are more intelligent, maybe. Um, <laughs> it's so there's a weird thing happening where like we're being pushed for our nashram on one side, but at the other side, like men are becoming brahmacharis and then the women are single. And then and then there's a lot of people that are in my position. Uh, I know a lot of women who are we're in our early 30s and they're just single because we just don't know anybody that that fits the bill. It's it's. Yeah, sad. I think a lot of men are pushed to be brahmacharis as well without being given the instruction of like, probably you won't stay a brahmachari because there's not so many people that stay a brahmachari their entire lives. If you want mm -hmm. to, great, that's fine. But it's quite likely you won't. And so eventually you will have to look and think about taking care of a family and what, and what that looks like. Um, and I don't mean that uh, 
they have to be the sole breadwinner or anything like that, obviously. I just mean that um, there's no kind of looking to the future when men are told to be brahmacharis for a time. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I mean, it's it's valuable though. Like, I'm not gonna say it's not valuable to have some time in your life to be Ramachari, but the really? system needs to be different. You know, of course, like being like the time that I lived in the temple was one of the best years of my life, especially at the beginning. It was a very sweet experience, and we all deserve to have something like that. Yeah. Um, whether you were born in the in the movement or not, you know, just having time where you're just focusing, seeing on your Krishna consciousness before you have responsibilities and all that stuff. Um, but then it gets messy, like the older you get. And and then also men are criticized for wanting to change ashrams. Like I saw that happen several times that um, people who ended up leaving the Krishna house, uh, they went to became book distributors or whatever, like they were traveling, um, traveling brahmacharis and then they have the desire to leave that. Um, and not just, I mean, I've seen this everywhere. Um, and then they become, they told, they're told that they're falling down you know, or like, why is it that they're, uh, it's like they're falling people like, that's Maya, women are Maya. It's like, it's just like a natural thing. You're in your mid twenties, you know, like you should yeah. start a family and that makes sense. But then men are discouraged from, from their leaders. And then what I saw the majority of the time happening is that these people actually leave Krishna consciousness. They end up like just sleeping with somebody random or they just feel so shameful that they feel these, they feel these feelings and then they just leave. So then you lose, this person loses their connection with um, the devotees and also, I don't know, it's just like detrimental in, in many ways. It's a great, it's a great point that, you know, that there needs to be more education for, for transitioning from Brahmachari to Grahasta because, you know, as Prema said, you know, most, most men don't end up becoming, uh, you know, staying Brahmachari. You can, you know, I can count on my hand how many Prabhupada disciples who are Brahmacharis are still Brahmachari, you know? Uh, and so that's that's definitely a great point that we need to have that education for for men to to transition into the into the grasta life, and that will be better for everyone. Um, yeah, I mean, let's see, what else do we have here? Um, oh, I wanted to say, please, one more thing that goes. It's like a separate segue, um, but about what Chaitanya Chintamani was saying about you know men following her and things like that. I think. It can't be overstated that um, women in the world do not feel safe uh, physically and um, uh, there was another talk that was that went out recently with um, Achuta Gopi and I believe Gopi Gita is the other lady's name. Um, amazing talk, everybody should watch that as well. Um, but Achuta Gopi talks about being a safe space for people. Um, it's a beautiful point that she makes. And I think um, we need to sometimes even take that literally with this women's issue, you know, creating a safer space where um, not so much that women are told how to be safer, um, but rather men are told not to prey on women. Um, you know, I know this could get into a whole topic of like um, the violence and assault that women have to deal with. Um, but I don't know, there, there's a quote, um, I believe by Margaret Atwood, a writer. Um, she says, you know, uh, men are afraid that women will laugh at them and women are afraid that men will kill them. 
And uh, I think this is something we all need to take extremely seriously. Mm -hmm. Thank you. We have a, uh, a question from Facebook. Uh, Mother Rama spoke about her aspirations for her granddaughters. Can she tell us what kind of man she hopes her grandson will be and how important is raising men with proper knowledge and responsibility? Great question. That's a wonderful question. And I'm, I pray that my grandson, and, and we are raising him. He's been raised, I mean, he has two sisters, has his grandmother, he has his cousin. So he's surrounded by women and we are hoping and we are raising him to be a compassionate, kind person, to see everybody as soul and to respect women, treat women kindly. Uh, Sundari Gobi, you said that men don't have training and you know, that's so true. And what you said about them being shamed when they want to change ashram, that has been going on for a long, long time. Even yeah. when I was a, big, a new devotee, it's always been like that. And I was hoping it would change, but listening to you talk, apparently it hasn't changed. So definitely, you know, men, it's great for men to be brahmachari and not all of them will be uh, staying in that ashram. As Namarasa said, very few make that commitment to stay lifelong brahmacharis, but there has to be training you know, you want to enter the Grihastha Ashram, and the Grihastha Ashram shouldn't be seen as a fall down. <clears throat> yeah. It should be glorified also. We all have our purpose, you know, so, and that should be glorified, and, 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 and they should be supported. So we have to have training and that support for someone who wants to enter the Grihastha Ashram. And, you know, we, yes, Kirtan will be raised to be the ideal husband. <laughs> um, yeah, we, you know, with, with us around, definitely. <laughs> no pressure, Kirtan. <laughs> no pressure, Kirtan. <laughs> no, we need, we need to start at the very beginning. And now for us, we have a son too, and he's so sweet. Yeah, so, you know, you want him to be also treat women and be an ideal mm -hmm. husband for these wonderful girls. We have these amazing girls in ISKCON. You know, someone said to my husband when Brenda was pregnant the second time, and they said, "Oh, do you want a grandson or a granddaughter?" Because you know you'll have because she already has everything. He said, "I love granddaughters." He said, "You know," he said, "I'll have take ten of them, and I'm really, I'll be happy with granddaughters." Can I also just quickly say, please, please, please. the the brahmachari being shamed for wanting to be grihastas thing, you know. That is also sexism. We talk about sexism yeah. and some people see, uh, oh, it's just like women want more power, women want this, women want that. Sexism affects men and women. Right. And um, yeah, we need to be fighting against all of it. Yeah, I remember I remember when I was in the ashram uh, at the Bhakti Center, it wasn't the Bhakti Center at the time, but um, Tulsi had come for 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 some, I think she had come to see her sister because Johnny was living in New York, and uh, they, you know, we knew we liked each other, but uh, we were just kind of like a little bit distant. And I remember some of the brahmacharis who are still my dear friends to this day. They they kind of got me in the in the corner and said, "No, I'm, I mean, we're going to protect you uh, from her. You know, she's just trying to she's just trying to prey <laughs> on you and like." 
and they heard that she was going to go to India the same time and say, look, she's following you to India and everything. <laughs> <laughs> this, Right. <laughs> so they made her out to be like this villain, you know. Uh, and and uh, it was just, it was just like at the time I was young, you know. I was just like, oh yeah, maybe she is, you know. But I really liked her, you know. But at the same time, they were telling me this thing. So if they were a part of, they were a part of that kind of uh, environment where that was kind of uh, preached to them that you know these women are just trying to prey on these men. Uh, and so it's just a funny anecdote to to add in there. Um, there's a good question here. Um, another shout out to Jonavi Harrison for giving all these wonderful questions. She's our, she's our, uh, product, um, Thank our, you, content, <laughs> our, our content creator, director of content at, uh, the late morning program. Uh, if you were a GBC for a day, what, what change would you make to ISKCON's current culture? It's a great question. Hmm. Mm. Chintamani, you want to start us off on that? Um, if I had just one day, it would probably um, try to convince our current GBCs to retire. And, uh, <laughs> oh, man. Let some young people in. Um, not because... I mean, just because I think it would be a good idea to just get some young, fresh air in that space, you know. Mm. Um, it's kind of like in England, we have a queen who's like almost 100. And then her son is like 70 something. And then they've got their kids, you know, and, and all of England wants the grandchildren to be queen next, king and queen, because... Um, they don't want like a really old person on the throne after another old person because it just doesn't give life into the place and mm. that kind of all the changes that we need you know needs to come from people who have their ear on the ground and and yeah. i feel like they're so blissful and and in the clouds with their own spirituality and their own charisma and their own beauty that they're not able to see the things that, that are troubling us on the ground. Yeah. Sorry. It's it's really harsh, but that's what I would do. <clears throat> yeah. Um, I might uh, try to take the focus away from things that, in my opinion, really don't matter or have much of an effect on devotees day to day and put more of a focus on, um, you know, what can we do for devotees to really feel empowered and um, encouraged and safe within their temples, within their environments. Um, there's, uh, I feel like the GBC definitely has a rep for um, getting involved with a lot of really small detailed things that sometimes like don't matter and don't have any bearing on um, you know what's going on with people. I mean, the Radhe Radhe is a classic um, kind of <laughs> joke, like a like a ISKCON wide kind of joke. Um, yeah. And 
not to say that it's not a difficult job that they do and it's and that they're not all doing very lovely service um but sometimes you know all of us out here just in various communities are going like okay but what about stuff that like applies to us great point great point anyone else i i've also uh i was talking to a friend recently and i said i yes i respect i respect our gbc it's a difficult job running an mm. institution as it's gone no doubt that it's very difficult i respect all our gbc members and and i'm truly thankful for the for what they have brought us to right now in our lives um but i agree with chintamani that it's time for new blood the new we need we need to give up this power the old leaders need to give up the power and pass the baton on to the younger generation and i think if i was gbc for a day i would be asking the older generation thanking them and asking them to really think about passing on the baton to the younger generation and and i definitely would institute some training for the younger generation so when they take because we all are going to receive devotees leaving every day and we all are going to leave and so i feel like training is so important right now for the young devotees because they are going to take the reins of iskon but if they don't have training how are they going to manage this institution so it's very important i think i would institute training uh that's what i would do yeah great point okay there's a question from uh facebook do you all see a future for women who feel uh who feel called to it to pursue a, a contemplative monastic life with integrity in iskon or is the only option to find a good man great question so is there a future for for brahmacharinis essentially is what he's asking in iskon or is it is the, is it always is it only is the only option to be married you know i'm going to um talk to that a little bit i was just reading a conversation should a proper was having and i wish i wrote it down but um i think he was talking to uh oh i forgot the name but uh, proper was saying why he was saying why get entangled in marriage now he said uh and so someone said oh uh so cuz the devotee was saying is it okay for women to live a single life without getting married and papa said yes it's okay mm. you know and so papa said why why would you want to get married and get entangled in marriage just make krishna the husband he's the perfect mm. husband so and so papa was okay with that and i think with daivi banashram if we see we'll be respectful of everybody's abilities and talents and if someone wants to live a renounced life then we should be respectful of that also yeah Good answer. Anyone else? It's so um I completely agree um we have to be respectful of that choice um in the same way that we wouldn't go to a sanyasi or a brahmachari and make jokes about them getting married you know or um feel sorry or or you know try and set them up or tempt them you know we have to make the same 
respectful adjustment to ladies. And so far, it's not really been done because apparently it's ultimate to be married. But it's a question I ask myself a lot nowadays. Like, what does it look like? What if it if it never um, turns out the way that you've been trained to think it will turn out? You know, what are you, what are you supposed to do? You know, and um, so far I don't have any answers, but it's it's something that that um, needs to be talked about so that we can be peaceful in whatever choice that we make. You know, <laughs> and that yeah. other people will accept that choice as well. Yeah, everybody has a different nature and. Some people are born and just grow up and don't feel that marriage is for them. I, I don't see a problem with that. I, it, yeah. it would be kind of crazy to see a problem with that because clearly everyone is so different. Yeah. Yeah. It would be really wonderful to see there continue being facilities and temples. Maybe not every temple because it becomes hard, but at least in some temples where um, there should be like... Uh, ashrams for both men and women that they do want to if they do want to live in the temple and just dedicate themselves for to do full-time service and and live a, a celibate or like monastic life for, w whether you're a man or a woman i think it would be great to have that mm -hmm. wonderful these are all great questions and great answers thank you uh we're coming up it looks like to our end of our time i wanted to um i wanted to ask for closing statements from all all our panelists basically your reflection on what was spoken about and maybe um, just a little, you know, uh, give our viewers something to uh, take away. Uh, Mother uh, Ramatulsi, please start us off. Well, one thing we have to understand that Srila Prabhupada, um, he saw all of us as spirit souls and he did not make a distinction when it came to preaching he felt all his women disciples and his men disciples were equal and we have to understand that spiritually we all are equal yes we have material bodies and there are differences women definitely are different materially from men we have bodies that can bear children we are uh, nurturing we can take care of the house and children. And men have a different body for protection, for being strong. But uh, when it comes to spirituality, we have to understand that we all are on the same platform. There is no difference between uh, our spiritual understanding of Krishna consciousness. And we shouldn't be held back in Krishna consciousness just because we have a woman's body. Thank, thank you. Thank you very much. Prima? <laughs> okay. Um, well, men, when you say that I'm a good Murdanga player, stop looking so surprised. <laughs> I'm, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> although they do look surprised. And they, then they find out that I'm a Gurukuli and they say, oh, that explains it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I can play Murdanga oh, too, right? <laughs> later on can't be a good Murdanga player. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, um, jokes, jokes, jokes. Um, so I'm going to borrow um, again from Achuta Gopi and say, think about how you can 
um, make your temple or the devotees that you interact with a more safe space for them. Think, think about that, please. And um, also I'm going to borrow uh, a point that Kishore Gopal made so beautifully in the last episode of your podcast. Um, we have the absolute truth in Krishna consciousness. And for so many, it is such a relief to have our philosophy, especially in these extremely difficult times in the world. And, uh, you know, we, we know that this philosophy is the greatest treasure. And so we have to make our temples, our communities, so that um, it's really true that it is shelter, that it is Sharanagati for everyone, that it's a house that Prabhupada built that the whole world can live in. Otherwise, you know, we're, we're preaching to people and we're trying to get people interested. And then they, you know, if they come in and experience the same thing, the same thing that they're experiencing in the outside world, you know, then what really differentiates us? So that's it. Thank you very much. Sundari? Um, I was actually thinking something along the lines of what Prima just said that, you know, we we have something so beautiful to offer to the world. You know, like Krishna consciousness is something that I've, um, it's, it's the biggest treasure that we can receive and that we can give to other people. And if it's not a place where people can come and really truly experience that, then we're doing a disservice to our movement. We're doing a disservice to Srila Prabhupada. Um, like I personally, like I've seen a lot of women treated being treated badly or like, if even towards my, I've been treated badly in some situations myself, but I feel lucky in that I have that kind of personality where I just kind of brush things off and be like, I don't care, you know, like I'll, I, I'll keep doing me, but I don't see it. But a lot of women um, aren't necessarily that way and they get pushed down, you know, they get discouraged or they feel like they're less than, and then they're pushed to the back of the temple and they're hiding with their chatter, like their saris cover over the head and like the back kind of like they're, um, they're second secondhand citizens. That personally is one of the things that bothers me the most, like seeing like women like this in the back of the temple, like kind of like trying to disappear as if they were ghosts. Mm -hmm. And uh, the temples, like we have to, we have to be able to present to the world um, that we we do we have all the aspects of Krishna consciousness in a very beautiful way, so that people are attracted and feel safe when they come to the temple and they see like oh this is a place where I can grow I can serve and I can grow both spiritually and also develop like a wonderful community that will help me with that. Um, wonderful, yeah. thank you, Chintamani. Um, yes, thank you so much. Um, it's been so wonderful to hear from, from the rest of you ladies and um, I just want to say that if any ladies are watching um, and at this point in time are having a difficult um, a difficult time of it um, that they should hang in there and uh, as you can hear we've all suffered one way or another um, and we've all got things to tolerate and and um the the ability to to tolerate these things is one of the gifts of being a woman actually um <laughs> that we need quite often so it's <laughs> it's um 
it's so uh, it's so refreshing to to hear that we're not on our own in this um, in this scenario. And uh, thank you. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Um, so I really would like to really thank you all, all you wonderful Matsujis, ladies, uh, for, for coming on to this podcast. Really appreciate it. I think some amazing points were made. Um, if you'd like to get in touch with any of these devotees, they're all on uh, social media. Um, I can, uh, you know, tag them in, in the posts and whatnot. Uh, Prema is not on Facebook. <laughs> Too much of a pure devotee. Uh, so <laughs> she's on Instagram though, right? You're on Instagram. I'm not on Instagram anymore. <laughs> oh, you're not? <laughs> she's transcendent. I know. I'll probably be come crawling back soon. It's fine. You'll find me. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you everyone for joining. Thank that was you episode for us. Thank you all you wonderful ladies. Thank, thank you, you Namras, for, for this platform. Thank yes, you. No problem. Yeah. And, um, if, if, um, if you have any questions, as I said, please contact all these wonderful ladies. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot of people who are very interested in talking to you more about their, maybe their personal experiences or personal problems or whatnot. And it, I think it's a great way to connect with you guys. Um, stick around um, because after we go live, we can all talk. But uh, thank you. That's episode 27 of the Late Morning Program. Please check out my website, uh, latemorning.show. Um, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram as Namaras. Um, I'm on all podcast uh, podcasting platforms. You can the audio uh, alone will come out in a few days. But thank you very much, Hare Krishna, and I appreciate uh, everyone joining. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna.